wherever you want. American Scouser Podcast. I am your host, Timuchin, as always. And as always, Gally is with us, but from his secret uh, <laughs> workstation. What's up, Gally? What's happening? What's happening, people? Uh, yeah, we're, we're, we are broadcasting live here from the uh, 12th floor at the JW Marriott in Nashville. So uh, it's a beautiful city. You can see a little bit of it behind me and uh, can't wait to talk about the Reds. I was going to say, man, you're like hanging out in style over there. looks like a nice view out of there. We are missing Bickler today. Uh, we're hoping he's going to be able to join us afterwards because I figured, you know, in an episode where we're going to talk about Divac, we have to have Bickler somehow. But he has like a company obligation and stuff like that with like having a bash at the Christmas party or something along those lines. At least that's what he told us. So we're rolling with that. Uh, but he will, he might just be avoiding the next segment over here too. Maybe he just came up with like a loophole, but hopefully he'll be joining us in the second half and we might have some other guests joining us along the way as well. So Gally, unfortunately you will be the only one who's going to face the trivia today. Because there is no Bickler. But the good news is I did pick a complicated one for today. Because God knows Bickler cannot understand the questions half the time. So it will be a complicated one to get out of the way. So, And, you know, I was uh, we had a couple of actually listeners send in some trivia questions that we've used in the past. We might have to end up, like, circulating some of them. I just realized today is actually our 133rd episode. Not quite the landmark, but that's a lot of episodes we have under our belt. So... That's a lot of trivia questions I have used up over the years, looks like. But here is your trivia that is this week related in some ways where it's kind of like made me look into it. So I figured I would make like a trivia question out of it. So my research does not go to waste. So here is your question. Divac Origi obviously is the man of the weekend. So I kind of looked at his numbers. So the question is... Ever since he came back, so when he was in Wolfsburg and came back in the 18-19 season. Uh, so since then, he has scored eight goals for us in the Premier League. Can you guess the average minutes that these goals were scored at? Wow. Good one, right? I believe That's a good question. question. I mean, do you have to be able to do math. That's one of my strengths, seeing that I do payroll for a living. Um but this is kind of a guess, Matt. This would be a great question to throw at Paul later to find out whether he was watching at the beginning because he'll still probably figure out a way to get trivia wrong after he gets the <laughs> answer. Um, so I'm going to go with – this is a shits and giggles argument. 83rd minute because I think he's gotten a few early on that it might skew the numbers, but he's gotten so many after 90. They're all I remember, to be honest. Ah, that's – yeah, that's a – that's a very high estimate. And honestly, like, that's the reason that made me kind of look into this, to see, like, you know, what minutes uh, he scored to see kind of, like, if he can get an average. So we'll let that brew for a little bit, and then we'll kind of, like, come back to it, and then we'll get some, like, guesses from the listeners and stuff as well. 
And yeah, by the time Bickler understands this question, he'll just answer like three different questions probably. So it's going to be a tricky one for him. But so let's talk about the week first. We'll go in order as always and start with the Everton game. Um, I'll be honest. I am. I mean, we all know I am the worrier and I'm the pessimist. So I was kind of worried about it just because it was a Derby game. I mean, we knew the teams, the squads, the quality difference. And really the game pretty much showed that, didn't it? I mean, there is a huge level of quality difference between these two teams right now. Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't want to undercut how poor Everton played that day um, or how poor they've been this season, how inept they look under Benitez, and how much I think his tactics are just dead. I mean, the idea that they got that win today, that was smoke and mirrors. Um I don't think they played well. I know VAR took away some goals. But, you know, I really think we've talked about this. I think it's a down Premier League, top to bottom. I think there is a there are three amazing teams at the top. There are a handful of teams that are even of any level of quality. And then there are just a lot of poor teams, and that includes Everton. Um, but the lineup came out. I felt good. The match kicked off. Ten minutes in, we should have been up. Four or five, nothing. Literally. Four nothing in the first 10, 15 minutes. Um, and then I just feel like the game just kind of settled in from there. And, we, you know, once the first goal happened and we just kind of kicked on. So there is a huge gulf in these two clubs. Um, you know, I forget what the exact number was. I think it was, you know, they're a thousand steps apart, the two, the two stadiums, because um, the Liverpool fans put up that banner once at the Everton training ground that said you are only 1000 steps from the European championship trophy. Um, which I mean, that's money well spent people. (laughs) And yeah. And you know, I was watching a lot of, I mean, I like kind of doing this because I enjoy other fans misery. And so I was, and as we develop more video content too, I kind of want to see like what else is out there and stuff like that. And I was watching some toffee, TV, which is brutal, by the way, like compared to all the other fan TV channels I've seen, like, you know, Arsenal's Chelsea United, like the United Way and stuff like that. Um, it It is pretty rough, uh, I have to say. And as I was listening to them, they really don't have any answers. I know during the broadcast, they kind of were trying to make it look like, I mean, I know like Calvert-Lewin is injured. Uh, but I mean, is Mina, aside from like set pieces, a huge loss for him? I just feel like with all the money they've spent, this just should show our fans who only look at how much money is being spent and net spending and stuff like that and pull up those numbers and say, oh, look how low we are, you know, FSG out, FSG is not spending money. I think Everton is like a prime example of a team that, I mean, aside from along with United, it doesn't matter how much you spend if you're just freaking like flushing it down the toilet. Yeah, I mean, terrible signings, right? We we saw Marcel Brand lose his job over it. Um, how the actual man who's picking the players, and I don't remember his exact name right now, the actual person who does the transfers, etc. cetera, um, how he still is in a job after buying Alex Awobi for $35 million, um, really in itself, that's a big enough mistake that would get you fired at any other normal club. And that doesn't even count all the other terrible signings. I mean, I think you can argue in five years, the only player who has actually proven to be worth close to the transfer fee is probably Richarlison. Um, And even that was overpriced. 
But I do believe they're going to sell him to a bigger club someday and they're going to make money on their initial investment. And therefore that will be worth, you know, he's a Brazilian international. I mean, I've said it before. He has them crazy eyes. I believe someday we will find out, you know, there's an Aaron Hernandez like documentary about him someday, uh, dead bodies in Brazil and they track it back to Richarlison. Um, but you know, I do believe that he will go on to have a better career, especially when he starts playing around better talent. I think you kind of see that when they are playing well. Um, he's the only thing they have outside of Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Um, so we'll have to see what happens. But really, again, isn't it the consistency of keeping a manager? I mean, do we know if Michael Keane is a terrible defender? Because when he played at Burnley, he looked like a Premier League defender that a lot of big clubs wanted. United, Liverpool were interested. He went to Everton. He's had four different managers in five-plus seasons at Everton. How is the guy supposed to develop as a player if you're constantly being told to change? And you look at the teams, Pep, and I Chelsea's an enigma because I think Tuchel had the talent and just molded it. But I think you see what Pep's doing. You see what you know Klopp has been able to do at Liverpool. And as disgusting as this is to say, there has to be something to the consistency of having a dirtbag like Sean Dyche at your club. Because every year they find a way to – but every year, why do they stay up, though, Tamuchin? They take their talent. They understand how their coach wants them to play. And even though it disgusts me, and I hope they go down, we'll probably talk about it eventually. But, you know, I just think that that coaching carousel, you know, between, you know, all the different people that have come through hasn't helped that Everton squad. And I'm all for it. Like, let Rafa go next and bring in the next Jamoke and then the next Jamoke. You know, it's really been a laughing stock since David Moyes left. Exactly. I mean, I think that's big part of it because with every new manager that comes in, a new system comes in. So players that that guy feels like will help are brought in. If they don't help, now a new guy comes in. Well, the old guys don't fit the new system and all kinds of it's just like a – but like you like to say, they long may continue because – Definitely enjoying the misery. I mean, it just felt, you know, when I watched like a lot of like United stuff after we like trashed them, it was almost enjoyable. Um, I mean, not almost, it was very enjoyable. And I was like laughing and stuff like that. And they were kind of like, you know, way over frustrated and stuff like that. But when you watched it, it was more sad. I was more depressed watching that because it sounded like, like they did some kind of like a rehab or therapy or something like that. It was just really really depressed and sad that whole channel by itself is like that but let's go back to us because you know the blue side is definitely going down the drain over here so we i mean this is the same lineup obviously that played the weekend as well so even if everybody is healthy let me ask you this is this right now our best lineup in terms of like the starting 11. yeah everybody's healthy i believe i believe on current form and the way our team attacks and the way our front three are clicking and play is happening, I believe that is the, you know, the best 11. I'm not going to say that that's our best starting 11 for every match because I believe there are specific times where you need more of a Bobby-like number nine than, than Jota or Mane, to be honest. Um, I, obviously, I'm never taking Mo out of the lineup unless it's Tuesday and it's a dead rubber, Jurgen. I know you're listening. Tuesday's a dead rubber. Um, and you watch. He'll trot out Mo because Mo will tell him something like, I've never scored at the San Siro and I need this. Like, no, no. Um, I wouldn't even put him on the plane. 
Literally, I'd be like, here's a contract. Sign this or you stay in England and keep working on the contract. Um, but in all seriousness, I, I, I love that lineup. I think it's balanced. I do think there is a time where Kanate will start to battle Matip. Uh, I also think there's a time that after we saw this match that Virgil probably needs a little break. Um, between the Everton match and especially the Wolves match, there were some times where Virgil looked like he could use a rest. So maybe getting to figure out how to play Matip and Kanate together. Um, I'll be interested to see what the lineup looks like this week in the Champions League. I agree because, I mean, especially like having come back from injury, I thought he was looking better and better and closer and closer to the Van Dyke we know. And I do think I agree like last couple of weeks, there have been some moments where it's been very on Van Dyke-like. And I think part of it is we've kind of made him this, you know, the superhero and the guy is still human. He is going to make mistakes. But there are some things I thought over the years, you know, like I've, I've watched him as a center back. One of the things that was like the most impressive to me was how he could get, you know, the balls that are like lobbed in behind the defense. He could not only cut it off with a header, but he was actually that header was putting the ball back into play or the clearances were actually keeping the ball in play and starting an attack at the same time. And I feel like, you know, that was kind of gone when he first came back from the injury. It was more like clearing it, clearing it. And it was starting to come back, but I feel like over the last couple of weeks, yeah, he does look tired. I mean, then again, you know, we'll come back and talk about the Wolves game again, but, you know, that pass, I mean, we can't duplicate that pass that he oh. sent from the back as a long diagonal like he did to Mo at the end of the game. I know, you know, Divac gets the glory, and obviously Mo sets it up, but, man, that is some pass over. Oh, there. it's an amazing it's an amazing outlet. It's what we missed more than anything last year. Exactly. Like, we missed a lot of defense. Don't get me wrong. We needed his leadership, his organization, and we needed to not play two of the best midfielders in the Premier League in defense, right? That's what we needed. And as soon as we started doing it, even without Virgil, we started getting points and winning matches. That said, what we really missed was him starting the attacks. And he starts the attacks with amazing balls from deep. And that pass, as Ben just alluded to, um, was just absolutely amazing. And I just think that, you know, what we're seeing is that he's slowly getting back to where he was and who he was. But I think overdoing it, especially right now at this festive period, you guys realize, I know we're going to talk about it, and I know you realize it because it'll be on our agenda. We have four matches in 12 days starting tomorrow. That is a lot of football, including a trip to Italy. So I just think it'll, it, it's a time. It's a good time to give him a rest, obviously, midweek. And I think he's got to get one of these matches off in the Premier League um, midweek to give him like a full seven-day rest. Um, I know Cosgrove's head spinning right now just thinking about not starting the absolute most um, best 11 every Premier League match. Um, but I just think that it's going to be necessary to win the amount of titles and the amount of silverware we're hoping to achieve with this great club, this great squad, actually. And I feel like the schedule kind of helps that. I mean, we have this game tomorrow. That is a rubber game that, you know, we should be able to rest whoever the hell we want. And then you have Villa, Stevie G coming to Anfield. We'll talk briefly about that as well. But then you have the Newcastle game at home. I feel like on that's on a Thursday. And that's, I know it's Saturday to Thursday, but then right afterwards on Sunday, 
you're playing against Tottenham in an away game. So that Newcastle game actually turns out to be a good opportunity, again, to be able to rest some of those guys. I mean, there are no easy games in the Premier League. Any team can pull off something because everybody has some talent that can cause trouble and things like that. But, you know, you do have to pick your bottles and stuff like that. And, you know, it would be a good opportunity to do that. So as we get, like, more and more listeners on live joining in, Let's go back to this and, you know, moment of silence for not having Bickler over here. But this week's question was, Divac Origi, ever since he's come back from loan, so that's uh, going back to this over here real quick, the 18-19 season is when he came back. He was in Germany during the 17-18 season. So ever since he's been back, he's scored eight goals in the Premier League. The question was the average minutes they were scored. Oh, it's got to be way lower. Now that I'm thinking about what it would take to get an average minute of 83 minutes, it's got to be way, <laughs> okay, way I was going to say, do you want to rethink your answer? Yeah, I do. I do. I do. I do. Um, I'm not, I'm not going to put it after the hour mark or before the hour mark because I do think a lot of them have come late. And the majority of his goals have been scored as a sub for Liverpool since he's come to the club, especially in the Premier League. But I'm going to say like 62nd minute. Because 83rd was just a stupid um, application of math. Almost Bickler-like guess. Well, it was in memory of him. <laughs> I basically got to confuse myself with the question, come up with a reason why I should have given a different answer, gave a different answer, and it'll still be batshit crazy wrong. Yeah, if Victor was here, he would definitely understand this question wrong. But actually, the correct answer is you got mighty close in the second shot over here. It's 67. Okay. And honestly, there is one game where he scored everything game, I believe, in the sixth minute. You take that out, that becomes 75 for his average. I mean, it's 96th minutes. 66, 86, 42. Then you have that six in there, then 59. 83 and 94. The dude is definition of super sub and being clutch. And this is like I say, just Premier League. I was when I was looking at his other goals, the average gets skewed, but he has some other goals that you know in the cups and obviously you know the Champions League game as well. Uh, where he came in, that was what 87th minute that was. So he scored some like late ones in the other games too, but the average with the League Cup games and stuff like that was getting all over the place and yeah as darren says we will take every single one and because i mean and that's the thing we talked about this in a podcast i think it was like about like a month or so ago that i mean for a guy who's had not as many goals i mean we can vividly remember probably 80 percent of them uh not because he has only had like one or two but because most of them have meant so much darren says to build him a statue already you know what i want I want a statue of Bickler building a statue of Divac. I think that will be <laughs> the ultimate tribute of having him do that. So that was this week's trivia. And since we are torturing you, now let's go to phase two. Initiate oh. phase two. Fantasy oh, yeah, yeah. football updates. Oh, my God. This is going so freaking good. It's not even funny. Luckily, okay. for the users, luckily for the users, they don't see anything except for our two ugly mugs right now. Um, I saw you lean up like you were going to queue up something. I'm sure that's going to embarrass me and build up my wife. Uh, so just let it roll. 
Here we go. Here we go with the numbers, kids. Okay, this week, our superstar, Kelly Gallivan, had 62 points, which it was a... I mean, obviously, the league we're in, the American Scouts League, is mostly, if not all, Liverpool fans. So I'm assuming there's a lot of homer squads out there, kind of like mine. Uh, so when we didn't have a great week, I mean, I look up and down the league and most people had like a poor week. I had a miserable week myself, but there's a lot of forties and stuff like that. Yeah. Kind of like you, I think. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 40 yeah. Woo! for somebody going for a tough spot. I don't know. That's kind of low. Uh, anyway, so Kelly has 62 points. The only person above a thousand points in the league, 1034 extending the league with you another 22 points points yikes that looks like an unclosable gap right now but we shall see and uh, looking at the so that's mission one accomplished for my fantasy season mission two is i am 50th with a miserable 37 points in the second portion of this week at 50th spot but barely ahead of bitler we had actually a decent week with 52 but still seven points ahead of bitler so that's mission accomplished number two. So are you going to make a comeback or are you throwing Listen, your towels and just I, putting no. yourselves? First of all, you ain't ever throwing the towel. I lose every single fight, every single argument. I lose everything to this woman. I lost yeah. my, I lost being single. I mean, I lost I lose it all when it comes down to it, right? Here's the thing. I'm gonna keep fighting, I'm gonna keep pushing. You know, it's gonna be one match at a time, one week at a time. We use all the coach speak here. But here's a quick story, and it's funny one. So we're walking through the airport, right, in uh, Logan International Airport, 6.30 a.m. Uh, on Thursday morning. And I'm wearing this hoodie. I always travel in Liverpool gear because I figure it weeds out people, right? Strangers either come up to you and you know they're great because they want to talk about Liverpool, or they tell you they're Man United fans and you know, like, I don't need to buy this person a drink at the airport bar. So I'm walking through security. Lady gives me the finger forward. I walk up to her. She goes, ooh, Liverpool. Oh, I don't know. You know, I'm like, what, are you a United fan? She's like, yeah, no joke. A second later, I see her literally point her finger. They flag Kelly's backpack, and she's going through security to the point where she brought a steamer for clothes, and they made her open every compartment of it. They're going through it like it was a weapon, like it was a weapon, and like she was going to mass attack. So I almost said to the to the TSA worker, I was like, you know, the soccer fan, I was like, is this because she's married to a Liverpool supporter or because you know that she is the world-class manager of, you know, clop back in the fantasy Premier League, uh, top 3,000 in the world? It is getting crazy, though, people. Like, I make these jokes, and in our group, she's just dominating. But she's first in, like, four or five other big Liverpool groups. First in the world with m- – couple hundred players in each and then she's 2600 out of 8.7 million right now and that is ridiculous it is bad enough being second in your house (laughs) it's much worse it is much much worse when she's not only second she used to be the most humble winner ever but this podcast has inflated her ego to the point where she actually believes she has fans and she thinks she's like Really, really good at this because, well, damn it, she is. And to that, what are you talking about? She thinks she has fans, she has freaking fans. I know, aside from you, 
everybody probably is listening to this podcast. Definitely me and Bickler are her huge fans. And everybody's rooting for her, not you, buddy. So, well, I'm gonna have since to build- you're already used to being second in the house, this will just be another, and I'll just another to, thing. I'll have to build her a statue, and then we can have a statue of me building her a statue in the backyard. And it'll just be me taking my comeuppets. So before we put the Everton game to rest, and like I say, I know for a lot of people, like, you know, like Darren, like right now was listening. I know like Cosgrove was talking about it during the podcast last week with his messages. I know people who are from the city, this is a much bigger game for them than the United game. So I know it was like a huge deal for them to win it in this fashion. And despite our, I mean, this has been going on for a while where we've been a lot better than them but really did not show as much in the final scores and stuff, especially when we played at Goodison. And I thought this game was just like a testament saying, like, this is where you, I, you know, like when I was watching them, even their fans know, and they hate saying it, but they know that it's almost like you have to say it. You can't deny it that there is like a huge gap between the two teams and it's only increasing. They're not like by spending more than us, they're not really closing the gap. It feels like it's going the other way. And really, they've added a lot of high dollar and kind of like, you know, up there in age people to that squad that can't be helping their cause in the long run either, like in terms of closing the gap. But I mean, what was your like, aside from like focusing on us, what was your biggest takeaway before we kind of move on to the Wolves game? Well, quickly, um, I thought Henderson was immense the entire match. If you ask me the difference in the match, right? It was Jordan Henderson versus Seamus Coleman. And you saw it in the Mo goal, the second goal, right? Mo even said, I think, in the post-match, like, I knew I had to attack Coleman because there was a mistake there. And the idea that Rafa Benitez put him up against the world's best player with no extra help or any actual tactical plan actually just speaks to all the problems there. But Henderson, from when he was pre-match in the tunnel, to pre-match on the pitch, to 10 minutes in scoring that great goal, right? Being in the right spot, creating more opportunities, the, 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 the assist for the second goal. And then, you know, most two beautiful finishes. I mean, that flick in the outside of his boot is just ridiculous and sublime. And honestly, I think you can argue that the second goal takes as much, if not more, talent. And shows the player he's in and the level of confidence. Because he not only runs down Seamus Coleman. You know, he outruns him with the ball at his feet. And then he just calmly takes just the right amount of front touch. Puts the ball in the bottom corner. Trickles in like a little toe poke. He made it look so easy and it was not an easy finish. And I think you almost saw in that second goal, like after the celebration and the flare hits the ground. He actually knows he's the best player in the world. Like, I think before we used to say it, I think in his mind, he believes there is no longer, it's not just the great athlete. You know, it's not my old T.O. Um, thing. And I know you're a, you're a 49ers fan, right? So I used to always say this about Terrell Owens. Everybody wants professional athletes to be humble, right? They, they want them to be humble when they do these great things, right? But it's the brash and defiance to believe they are the 1% of 1% that get them out of trailer parks in Alabama and make them one of the top 10 receivers to ever play in the NFL. And I believe that that same brash and defiance is like, we don't, we like it, we want it both ways. And I think Mo is so humble 
But I think you can almost start to see his chest puff up. And I believe he's actually going to take this to a new level. I really, really do. And I think that's my takeaway. Henderson and Mo Salah from that game. I agree with both. I know before the game, they were showing like the tunnel and you see Henderson. I'm like, I've always been a huge Henderson fan. I think he's like an excellent captain. And for years, I spent my entire time on social media defending him because people did not understand what he brought to the table and things like that. And yeah, like I watched it and I was like, man, he's like freaking focused, like love the look on his face. And then I know they were like talking about it after he scored the goal. Uh, the commentators were like talking about it and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, I, I thought I was the only one who noticed that because I'm a huge fan of his. And I was like, man, I mean, what a great captain to have. And I think his play has gotten better and better. And I think that trio over there has been excellent. Uh, and that's why I hope, you know, we'll get to that at the end. But I hope they do get some rest tomorrow because, I mean, I feel like when that midfield is out there, we can dominate any midfield, uh, like both physically, uh, on the ball, playing the pace. I mean, even before that goal he scores, I mean, the shot was excellent. Being there was excellent and everything like that. But the quick movement of the ball right before where Henderson kind of like lobs it over to Mane initially is just like great football to watch. And yeah, that midfield has just been amazing. So and going back to Mo, I think you're right in terms of, you know, Terrell was actually a weird example. But, I mean, I agree in terms of, like, that, you know, belief in yourself and stuff. But somehow Mo's able to kind of keep that only in his brain and not say it as much. I think that's kind of, like, makes him the ultimate guy for me. Because, like you say, to be that guy, I think you got to have that in your head. Like, I am the best shit around here. I should clear that up. I was not saying that he is like Mo, that Mo Salah acts like T.O. in any way. My point was that there are players, right? Roger Clemens was one of those guys. Roger Clemens told people from the time he was a little Look, dude how good he was going to be. Reference. But, it's, but, he, but he was an arrogant, allowed athlete in the United States, and we are, you know, American Scouser. So, uh, and, and it is America's pastime, whether you like it or not, Mr. Turkey. I despise um, it. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> I know, I'm just saying, but all these athletes, you can think of it in every sport. Michael Jordan, I mean, the greatness that is Michael Jordan, he hated his own teammates. He hated his coaches. He hated everyone around him, and they knew it. He had no problem telling them, like, you won't party with me. You won't go to the casino with me. Like, I don't, I don't hang out with my players because you play for me. This is how we do it. And if you don't want to win like me, you'll, you'll play somewhere else. And I just think there's this mentality, though, that, it, that the players can sometimes turn off that which is what allows them, as we've heard in the Mo, you know, tributes, you know, the guy took a bus six hours a day both ways to training at his first club ever in Egypt so he could get an opportunity. And that mentality doesn't leave you when you get to England because someone else tells you 300000 a week is enough or three fifty, or 40 goals. or And I just think we're starting to see him actually believe it. And I think that's so important. Because I believe what makes Ronaldo still special today, that dirty SOB, is he still believes he's going to score the big goal and beat you in every instance. And when he gets his chance, more times than not he does. And I think we're starting to see that with Mo. His conversion rates have gone up. I also think he likes an assist more now than he ever did before in his career. And it's a pretty special thing. I think he's got a goal 
to lead the Premier League in goals and assists this year and go all Harry Kane on the league. And if he does, it'll arguably be the most impressive uh, performance, I think, of any player scoring-wise in the Premier League because he's just so damn efficient with what he does. Yeah, I mean, I think he is the ultimate combination in that way too, like the humility to go with the self-confidence, and I think it's showing. And, yeah, I think, yeah, hopefully it can only get better and he's at the right place. Let's lock him up. I don't even want to go into that conversation because everybody goes to it. But Darren says Everton was already defeated before they even played. There weren't many Evertonians that thought they could beat us. Even my cousins who are blue knew it. And, honestly, I think they did, and I believe them. But I think partially – the Everton fans were saying that so that if they do anything, it's just ice. Like, they'll take anything icing on the cake. At least if they win, if they lose, nobody can, like, harp on them too much. But I think the way we beat them just made it so much worse. If it was just, like, a 1-0, 2-0 win, I don't think it would be as radical. But just the way we kind of, like, just dominated that game was nice well, way to see Let's be real fair. I know we're wrapping it up here and probably, you know, move on to the next games and topics, but let's be real here too. You know, this thing with Rafa is not working, whether it's the players, whether it's the formation, whether it's that it doesn't work any longer in the Premier League to play that way, unless you're like a Newcastle or a Burnley and you're in like a really low, low club. Um, This just isn't going to work and it isn't going to end well for him. The owner can give him all the, uh, you know, votes of confidence in the media and fire other people. But at the end of the day, they're not scoring goals and they're conceding bucket loads of them. And it's the one thing he's been able to do in his career is not concede goals. Well, that is, you know, before he went to China and his career ended. So ultimately, pretty much, yeah. the game has basically moved on. There are no more Spanish clubs going to look to hire him. I genuinely believe that, you know, his best days are probably the run in Napoli, even more than the great miraculous final at Liverpool. I mean, really, it was one, what, runner-up season and winning the Premier League title. I mean, he 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 is dining off of one hell of a second half by a great group of players for a long time in Liverpool. And he can have that forever. I'll always think of him as a legend and thank him well. But let's be honest, it's going to end ugly. And by the end of it, it might be two fan bases who are annoyed with the mug and the smug and the looks you know, by the end, because I think as it goes on further, it's going to bring more light to the fact that there was actually less success here than, and Rafa at the wheel, Darren, is absolutely beautiful, and I loved hearing the fans chant it at the end of the match. Yeah, like I say, it was just, yeah, I mean, long way to continue, it was kind of, definitely a lot better than I expected, but let's get back to the other game where we talk a lot about Divac Origi, and who better to talk about Divac than our buddy Paul from the depths of hell. Are you brewing your own crap in the background? Is the party not supplying beer? What's going on? Listen, I don't know what's going on. I get on. You guys are talking about Ronaldo. Galley looks like he's got a new house. I'm stuck at work. <laughs> like, I, don't, I don't like. I don't even know what's going on. Like, you know, Galley's obviously significantly upgraded, and I'm back at work. So, um, yeah. Basically, what uh, has happened is Galley has had to move out to a hotel because he got sick of. Uh, Kelly talking about the fantasy league, I think. So he yeah, just pretty much. <laughs> yeah, we all knew that was the next step. He was moving out if he couldn't close the gap. So pretty much, pretty much. So Darren thinks you're in the toilet, but that would be a big tank to flush things down. Looks like in the back. <laughs> <laughs> <Big tank. laughs> 
<laughs> so, Paul, I figured we would definitely bring you on. I know you got like other commitments going on in the background, but I figured, you know, we were talking about uh, having a statue of, you know, Divac afterwards. And I was telling everybody that what I really wanted was a statue of you making a statue of Divac because that would be the ultimate, you know, thing to give to Divac, I think, was your. Because we know you're a huge fan, president of the well, Divac Oregon Club. What do you make of it? I just want a picture of Divac in his warm up jacket, like he's on a cell phone, and then you can get a picture of me next to it texting him. Um, no, but like he's like he's like such an enigma, right? I mean, like we spent the last two years talking about how like he hasn't done anything off the bench in forever. And it's pro- probably because we haven't needed to, right? Like, I mean, we've been up in all these games, we sub him in and we're up three nothing. And he doesn't do shit. But, like, the first time that we were, like, in a spot, he comes in and just nonchalantly bosses the entire game. I thought what was impressive was, like, he was doing shit off the ball that I was, like, I haven't seen him ever do. I'm, like, he, like, he was, like, pressing and stuff. I'm, like, wait a minute. Like, did somebody tell him something? Like, like I don't understand. I'm used to this abusive relationship that I have with Daniel Sturridge, right, where he'd come in and, like, bang in some goals and then get hurt and be out. But, like, this is kind of a, a, a new relationship with Divac Origi where, like, we don't expect shit from him for so long, and then he comes in and bangs him in. Um, it is absolutely remarkable. Um, I think his – like, the funniest thing to me was, like, the look on his face after he scored. It's just, like, this, like, this shit-eating grin. Like, he he knows who – and I think this is what I respect about Divac. He knows who he is. Like, he is the kid that shows up late to practice every day and is your best player, but whose parents are making him play. Like he doesn't even want, like he like, he wants to go home and like play Fortnite and shit, but his parents are making him play. And he's fucking awesome. And like, it's, it's mad. Right. But it's hilarious. Uh, and I love him for it. I think honestly, you know, like the talk about wolves and all this stuff and, and interest in him from a transfer standpoint, I think it's far more likely he just winds his contract down. I don't think there's a team that's going to put him on the wages we have him on. Um, but what a fucking legend just in terms of like, I, it's hard to think of a player that's come off the bench and done more in terms of just like 95% of what you know of Divacarigi is off the bench. Pretty much. I mean, this week's trivia, which I'm sure you're very depressed that you lost, might chug down one of those behind you over there, but was his average minute that he scored the goals in the Premier League. And he scored eight since he came back from loan. And it's the 67th minute. And honestly, there is one that he scored in the sixth minute when he started against Everton, which we talked about how he loves Everton games. Otherwise, his scoring minutes on average is 75. Obviously, it helps when you scored on the 96th and 94th and stuff like that to bring that up. But like you said, I mean, I thought the most impressive part was, you know, I always talk about Divac, and I'm not the biggest fan like you are. Uh, but, I mean, I really liked the kid, and I was – the thing that was most frustrating was I felt like he never used his body and his speeds because he's very physically talented like he should. He played like a little dude. It feels like, you know, when you watch them in the past, Mo looks stronger than Divac, and he possibly could be just because of, like, you know, like just pure muscle. But this game when he came in, Paul, I mean, he was holding people off the ball, like chugging people off the ball. I mean, he was doing it all, like a great first touch. It was almost like if he could give his first touch to Mane, Mane probably would have had a hat trick by then. 
it was his play overall, not just, I mean, normally like he comes in and he scores like this goal and we're like, Diva, you are God. But I thought his play overall was just awesome. Right. And he was like, he was making good decisions. I mean, he was going in and like, like you said, he was like shouldering people off the ball and winning balls uh, out of possession. But then he was like finding the right players too. It was, it was pretty, um, it was pretty impressive just the way he kind of strolled in and almost changed the tempo of the match um, from the moment he came in, which I thought was really interesting. Just we've never seen him do that before. So, Paul, you're over there in the brewery. Before we let you go, because I know you got to get back to the party bash over there. Any parting thoughts? Uh, who do you want starting? Mo Mani Jota tomorrow against Milan, I'm sure. <laughs> I don't want to see anybody that I've seen in the last like two weeks start that match. And we know that's not going to happen. Right. So I'm just hoping and praying for the best. Nobody gets hurt. Um, you know, if I'm picking a front three that I want to see on there, maybe Mane, but like, I have no, like give it to the kids, you know, put Kanate out there, put James Milner out there. Um, you know, I obviously just want to see our depth, but we'll see what happens. Paul, awesome. Paul, I gotta be honest, man, that backdrop right there. That literally brings me back to my childhood. It makes me just literally think about Strange Brew as a little kid, like that movie about brewing beer with those big bats. And I can just think of it like I think there was a line like my brother used to say drowning in beer would be the worst way or would be the best way to die. Okay? And honestly, give a plug for the awesome brewery that you work at right now and tell people in the North Carolina area where you're partying tonight. Yeah, so this is Broomtail Brewing in Wilmington, North Carolina. And um Brewing is like probably like ninety five percent sanitation. So uh, both yep. those of you that know me, the rest of the five like ninety five percent sanitation, five percent science. So uh, I really have no idea what I'm doing here. To be quite honest, I was gonna say, where do you come in in that? <laughs> yeah. Well, Paul, I'm just thanks guy, for I'm jumping just on, buddy. Goes out there and ask people if they want it. That's it. Be good, my man. We miss you this week. All right, take later, care. Buddies. See ya. Back to hell. Actually, I will say uh, when he came over and brought us some beer when we were out in North Carolina, they do make a killer sour beer. So I would definitely recommend that joints if you're in the area because I think you can only get them like around that area there. But yep. So let's go back to the Wolves game. I mean, we talked about a lot about Divock and stuff like that. But first off, can I get this rant off my chest, please? That this entire – and I honestly, this I think is only in British football. Uh, and the older generation of the British that kind of like the good old days uh, football people that consider what Wolves was doing good football. No. Uh, and like saying, oh, there were a lot of good people that were like, oh, they like battle like warriors. And they were like, you know, they played such a good game. Like even the color commentary was like, oh, I really have to give it to them and stuff. And look, I'm I'm a defender. I play defend defense my entire freaking life. Nobody appreciates good defense more than I do. But and I've been in games like that where you're hanging on for dear life and just booting the ball up front, hoping something will have something good will happen. But really, most of the time you're clearing. When the game is over, I don't think I've ever said after a game like that, we played great. I might be like, whew. 
we got out of that one or we made it, but I've never said we played great. I mean, all they were doing, I thought it was like the ugliest football. And yeah, it was good defense and they worked hard. They had to work hard. We made them work hard for it. But all they were doing was just literally booting the ball like freaking like 10-year-old. I mean, I've seen better like U10 teams uh, play more like build up. Uh, than they were, and they were hoping like it would land in front of Adama, and he would just like run with it, like he was a freaking like returning like a punt return or something like. And once he was in the clear, he can just go. I, I mean, what is up with that? Because I, I mean, it wasn't only one person, two people. I mean, to me, that is not football. And like I say, I honest understand it's not easy to play defense like that. Like I say, nobody appreciates playing defense more than me, but. Ultimately, it's not good football. It might be good defense. It might be good efforts. It, it might be like, you know, fighting hard. But it's not freaking good football. Can we freaking stop saying that? Of course we can, and we should. And let's be honest. We rail on Burnley for doing it week in, week out. And, you know, if Wolves hired Bruno Large to come over from Portugal, one, because it meant he could speak the language that every player on the team speaks. Save on the translator two, fee. Two, yeah, save the translator fee. Didn't have to worry about the ownership and Jorge Mendes is his agent. So everything worked. Um, but the the problem with it is, is that he came to bring an offensive mind to it. He actually has had good results so far. They had a tough start, but played well during those results. And I felt like they got us scared. That was a absolute version of a scurred performance right there. They were nervous from the get-go. They knew they had nothing going forward, and they didn't even try. They were playing to either nick one or draw that match nil-nil. And it almost happened, to be fair to them. Um, you know, a couple great saves. I got to say something. This Sa, whoever the hell he is or wherever he came from, I thought losing Rui Patricio would be a big hit for them because I thought he was a – I thought he might have been the best goalkeeper in the Premier League outside of the big three or four clubs. Really? Um, yeah, I thought if Rui Patricio was at Chelsea two years ago when Keppel was their goalie, he actually would have gotten them like up up the table and competed for a title. That that Chelsea team was pretty good that year with Sarri, actually. And they just gave up so many goals, and they were just such a joke because of Keppel. Uh, and I, I thought Patricio was good, and he's showing it right now. Roma's playing well, and he's a big part of their success. Um but I thought Saw was good in that match, like really good from a keeper standpoint. The problem I have with Wolves, the problem I have with all these clubs, you're not you're not in a relegation battle. You were sitting eighth or seventh in the table with a chance to jump above United and Tottenham. Are you going to finish fourth? No. But those clubs will never kick on until they come try to get three points when they play the big three. And they came for one or not to be embarrassed. And in my opinion – Divock still ended up embarrassing them because they played for they played for one and they got none because they did nothing. I think it's more the fact that they play not to get embarrassed. Look, I understand they're not going to go all out attack on Liverpool and play into our hands because we would kill them. I mean, you know, there have been teams who made that mistake before. I mean, if they watch, I mean, these guys are Portuguese. I'm sure they watched. Porto tried to pull that on us a couple of times or we just like demolish them. So I understand that part of it, but you got to have a freaking better plan than just booting the ball up and having a dumb. And anybody who has been kind of like talking about, you know, signing a Dama for like a ridiculous, I mean, if it was like 20 million or something like that, I'd be like, yeah, maybe, maybe I would have like a miniature discussion about it. But 
for the money that's being talked about for like 40, 50 and stuff like that for that guy. I mean, he's a one trick pony. And the only trick is just kind of like trying to bulldoze people. And to be fair to him, he even got like Van Dyke shifted out of this place. So, I mean, nobody's arguing he's a strong dude and he's slippery. Like Darren says, how much baby oil does a man need? And, you know, he's slippery, he's strong, he's fast, but there is no end product. Yeah. I mean, he just goes down, 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 down the line and then just closes his eyes and kicks it towards the middle. So in a in our team, I can't see him in like any of these like intricate passing we do. Uh, and then it's not like nobody is gonna give him space to run into when we play. Like if we were playing, if he was playing for us this week, let's say for Mane, who had a poor game overall, I thought a lot of like taking people one on one and not getting much out of it. What is he gonna do? There's no space for him to run into. Everything is closed up. So what is he gonna do? Like just push people out of the way, like a one yard run on the goal line. I mean, that's not that just does not work in football. So I don't understand why people want to spend all this money to sign a guy just because. He's kind of interesting to watch, but then, you know, 10 seconds later, you're like, okay, I've well, seen he, it. He can only play on the right, too. He doesn't have a left foot. I'm pretty sure he has one foot. He walks up and down the pitch. He just he, Somehow he's that fast with only one foot. He's like the, the road runner. <laughs> and they just spin, so you can't see it. But, I mean, really, he can't play on the left because he doesn't have a left foot. So if we had bought him when he left Middlesbrough, when he went to Wolves, and the idea was we were taking the $20 million flyer that Wolves took on him to try to see could we develop this, you know, gem that Barcelona rushed through their academy and thought would be a big-time star, fine. That would have been a, wor a move worthy of the gamble because he was at Middlesbrough. He showed a little bit in the Prem. He played against better competition. And you could see maybe he takes a step forward. It's been five years in Worcester, and he's done nothing. Yeah, I mean... Five years at Wolves, and he's done nothing to make you think he belongs. And going back to the Wolves again, another part that was disgusting that I forgot to rant about, so thanks, Darren, for bringing it up. The amount of time-wasting they did. I mean, I always, bitch, we always talk with my brother about, like, the Turkish League, where, you know, it's a 90-minute game, but 20 minutes is wasted when, you know, these teams play that team, so people lying around. And for them to, you know, play back and forth with the ball boy. And then, like, him as you who used to, I used to like, I guess that goes down the drain. And I'm cutting him from my fantasy team, too, because that's the kind of radical action I take on my fantasy team. I recommend you do the same. <laughs> so I'll be cutting him from my team, too. For him to, like, fall off and then just crawl in, like, freaking, like, 20 feet so he can fall inside and doing all kinds of, like, ugly stuff they did. And then the commentators just sort of say, oh, you know, you got to give it to Wolves and stuff like that. No, don't give him shit. That is not freaking football. I mean, I, we can go out there, too, and just, like, hang on for dear life, boot the ball, lay around, and kill time, too. But we're not going to say at the end, oh, we played well, and nobody better freaking give me credit for playing football if I did that shit. I was, like, livid. I was, like, are you guys freaking serious? And more than the goal... I was happy that they were freaking, like, crushed with that last second goal. Honestly, I felt better about it than if he scored in the 60th minute and just won, like, a 1-0 nail-biter, which he wouldn't have been because they wouldn't be doing the same shit. They would have to come out of their shell, so we would probably put, like, 3-4 past them anyway, but still. Yeah, well, those rants well, will never end. I would, I would agree with that, too, 100%. Um, I think the other thing that, like, really irritated me about the match in itself was just the 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 way in which they went about it, like the way they set up to the way that they made subs, 
the time wasting started in like the fifth minute of the game. I mean, it was crazy. The first half, he's pointing at his watch. Like, you know, I, I don't think it was a well-officiated match. I think that there were fouls on Mo all over the pitch. And literally, Traore got every call that they, like, breathed on him. I'm like, this guy weighs 400 pounds and is built like a middle linebacker. And, you know, you're you're calling Robo for knocking him down for brushing an elbow and him flopping down on the ground. And Mo's getting run over by two people. Now, I will say this. That Altonori... He played an amazing match. I know he's like I connected did. to going. He's connected to PSG right now with like a legit interest in bid to make him like the left back to basically play, give them the attacking width that Potch wants there. Um, kid looks a real player. Uh, and if I'm him, I'm absolutely gutted that I get taken off for time wasting. And then Hoyer, Hoiver, the guy who comes on for me, gets done on my side of the pitch and Mo Salah, who he kind of kept in check all game long. Be I thought totally. he came out because he was kind of hurt. Because, I mean, well, here's the problem. You don't know if they're hurt or if they're just, like, lying around. Because, you know, everybody was lying around. But, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if we scored that goal. I don't know if he falls for Mo's first touch there, like, over did. So, yeah, that's a good point. But real quick, before we kind of, like, move yeah. on and kind of do, like, some short predictions. What did you make of – I mean, I know we missed some clear-cut chances. Is it just tired legs? It's just one of those games kind of deal? Because, I mean, especially the, the one that Jota missed, that's almost like trying too hard, I think. But overall, I thought we had chances where we could have scored that we missed. Just tired legs? Just one of those you, games? What do you make of it? You're talking the Jota header in the first half? Is that the uh, header in the first half was one of them? I think Mane had a couple of chances. Well, Mane's, Mane's two misses, including the one in the 88th minute, which was the one I thought that killed us, where the ball just broke over the D and he's wide open. He just toe pokes it into row Z. Um, that one probably frustrated me the most. Now, in all seriousness, we sat two hours on the tarmac before the plane took off, thinking we weren't even going to get to Nashville. Luckily for me, JetBlue had TVs and I was watching the Chelsea match and then got to watch the entire Liverpool match. So as they score the goal in the 94th minute, I'm not kidding. I jump out of my seat on the plane and yell, holy effing shit, we did it. And my and Kelly's half asleep. And it's like, you do realize there are other people that have been on this plane for four hours that don't give a shit. And no joke, I jump up in my sweatshirt. I hit my head on the plane thing. And people are like, and it was pretty outstanding. They knew what I was cheering about. I think other people were watching the match, and there was at least one Wolves supporter on the plane, and he was none pleased, and that made the whole thing worth it. And I told him, I looked right at him as we were getting off. I was like, the moment Divac came on, you knew you were losing. Man, yeah, it was – I. there was a lot of exploitatives, and, you know, let's face it, like Stitch knows an important goal compared to a regular goal, and he knew that was freaking huge. I was going to ask how he did. Up. How many treats did he get? Oh, he got a lot, man. He got a lot. Because that's when I'm like, like I say, I was more, I was so freaking pissed and frustrated. Not only because of what they're doing, but just because of listening to that being, you know, presented as good football. Because you know what? Especially in this country where we're trying to kind of like expand the game more and most Americans maybe don't understand the game or like the game or have like negative notions about the game. And when you turn on your TV and when the guy kind of like considers that and presents that as almost yeah. like good football, that really pisses me off even worse because that is not freaking good football. That yeah. is not quality football. Don't so, and like, you know, that's the thing what everybody says, right? People who don't like soccer and watch crap sports like 
you know, baseball. Baseball. Uh, you know, say, you know, uh, soccer players, they jump, they cry, they roll around, you know, thanks to Neymar. Uh, or they're like, oh, they're lying on the ground all the time. They, you know, act out stuff. And then, yeah, and then you see that. And then the guy says, oh, they're doing great. It's like, are you freaking serious? And I think because of that, I was like so frustrated and so much of like an emotional release with that goal. I mean, I mean, obviously it's a big three points and it could be something we look, you know, like four or five months from now and say, hey, that won us the title there. But, you know, aside from that, it was more like a frustration thing. So, yeah, Stitch was very happy that I was frustrated throughout because he banked. <laughs> it, was, it was just so important to get that win, honestly. It won for the emotional lift. The whole club, you could see the relief when they scored the goal. They all loved Divac so much. You know, Virgil jumping on the pile. Mo's look on his face when he's like, it was Divac. Are you freaking <laughs> serious? But let's not take anything away here. Virgil had an amazing pass, right? Yes. And Mo's touch was world class and he didn't try to take an immediate shot he took it to the byline and cut it back for the win but divox touch and turn his first touch and turn is just as much class as virgil's pass and mo's touch it's just because it's divox we just assume it's like dumb luck stupidity like he ran into the post and pickford bounced it up in the air and his head hit it and it's like or like i'm always thinking like divok in people's minds like it's like the goalie goes to kick the ball out and the guy turns his back and bounces <laughs> off the back of his head and goes in and they're like he meant it but like he's always in the right place at the right time and there is skill to that right there there is something to be said he is a poacher he he scores goals and i think it's what we need off our bench right now it's a it's a nice luxury to have for as long as he's here. We should enjoy it. And to the NBC broadcast, um, the only thing I have to say is this. I've said it before earlier in the podcast. I believe that they just paid, what, $6 billion or whatever crazy-ass amount it was for the rights. And I believe the product is down. It is way down. Like the West Ham-Chelsea game was a marquee fun match to watch. A 3-2 win. You know, the, the, the top table team loses to the up-and-coming Champions League contender. Other than that, we are genuinely talking about three teams that are so far head and shoulders above the other 17 teams. And I think you could argue from Norwich at the bottom all the way up to Crystal Palace and Southampton. These are still clubs that are not out of a relegation battle at like eight to ten clubs. And that's because the league is kind of down and it's a little mediocre. So I think what they were trying to do was save some face and tell people that, there was some gutty performance because it wasn't only the Liverpool match where I heard about like what I would call bad play being rewarded by announcers telling me it was good to watch. And I think that has more to do with Arlo White understanding his job and what makes NBC pay him $1.8 million a year. And that's bleeping crazy that Arlo White makes $1.8 million a year. Wait, Arlo White makes $1.8 million? Man, we're freaking being wasted. Arlo White said... After watching that Coleman error and Mo Salah's goal, Arlo's take out of that sequence was Coleman almost keeping up with Mo. Well, he's driven. Even though his age. And Grandmaster had to point out that one of them is with the ball, one of them is sprinting for freaking dear life. Like, you know. Coleman could not run faster if he was being chased by a bear. And, and meanwhile, Salah is running, dribbling with the ball, Controlling his touches so when the time comes, he can make the perfect touch. And totally. for Arlo to say totally. that, I was like, dude, are you freaking serious? Like, mm -hmm. I know you're trying to kind of balance things out, but, you know, he is somebody, 
And I mean, you know, like, you know, media overall likes to gush over certain players. And, you know, take Mo, gush over him. Like Ronaldo can fart and they're like, it smells so good. You know, so, you know, they already like gushing over players. Then just take freaking Mo and just admire Mo for like freaking like two minutes as opposed to trying to find a silver lining for everything as they get hammered by saying Coleman at his age is almost as fast as Mo who's dribbling the ball. I thought it was like probably the worst silver lining you can give to an Everton fan. They're like, it's not so bad, guys. Like he can still yeah. spread. It's like, just your, like God. your captain, your captain is so bad. The best thing we can say is he can <laughs> still run. So we kind of like, man, we, like, only two of us. Maybe like if, if we had Bickler, this would be a, probably a three-hour podcast. But uh, so real quick, let's touch up on what you expect out of tomorrow. And I also want to ask, while we're like doubling up for the week here, yep. does the the fact that CBG is bringing Villa make a difference to you? Because it doesn't really to me for the most part. Really, to me, I just see... I only really see Villa, and I'm a huge, you know, Stevie G fan. You know, watched him over the years. One of my favorite players of all time. But to me, it's just I just see it as Villa coming to Anfield. We need to get three points, and that's that's really it for me for the most part. And it'll probably always be. But I want to get your take on that and what you expect out of tomorrow in terms of lineup and stuff like that. I'll start with tomorrow. We'll take these in chronological order as they appear, right? Um, we'll start with tomorrow. I expect kids. I really do. I expect rotation. Uh, ben earlier in the pod made a great comment about, excuse me, Klopp's comments this week in the presser that basically if he doesn't rotate on Tuesday, it will be the medical department coming for him. So he's acknowledging that he knows he's been playing the same guys a lot lately. And he's been, I, can just, I just vision the Bickler wearing like a lab coat. <laughs> just like chasing Right with those with with the big glasses and the hat with a, with a name tag that says Doctor Bick, um, a flask of like beer he just brewed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a Stein, a big Stein, a big German Stein just walking in. Uh, Sorry, go ahead. Start the kids. Start the kids. Um, but yeah, no, I can definitely see it. But I I do believe the kids will play. I think Morton will start. I think he earned it. Uh, with his play in the times he's gotten some minutes. I wish Kate Gordon could play, but he can't. So, you know, I think we will see Taki through the middle. Um, maybe Mane on the left to try to get him going, get a big goal in him, feel good. I do think Jurgen wants to win this game because I think he loves this momentum. And I think becoming the first English team to win all six in a, in a Champions League uh, group stage would be impressive and another feather in their cap. And I think this team builds on their mentality and their confidence. And I think he's going to want to win that. And it's a Joe Gomez, Canate day. You know, maybe Nat Phillips gets a run out late. Uh, his swan song wave to the crowd at the San Siro, the five traveling supporters. And, uh, you know, I, I just think it's a, you know, a Costas type afternoon. I don't know that they'll win this match. I don't know I'd pick them to win this match if they had all their starting lineup. Not because I think AC Milan's better because I've been watching this team for 10 years in the Champions League, lose match after match and play poorly in Italy. Even the second leg in Roma when they were up 5 nothing in the first leg and then went up 5-2. They didn't play well. Uh, I just don't know that they play great. You know, they, they played poorly the last couple of times. They played Napoli. So if they go to AC Milan and don't get a result, it won't be the end of the world. As far as Stevie G, um, 
So Kenny Daglish came back to Anfield and coached two other different teams. For me, that's enough said. You know what I'm saying? Like, for me, the, it's okay. He'll be great. I think he will be great. I think he's going to be a good manager. Um, I'm not worried about that Villa team. I've watched him the last time. Steven Gerrard is Rafa Benitez playing with a low block team. That's what he did at Rangers to win. He plays a defensive, narrow system. They're going to pack it in against us. And I think you're going to be criticizing our ex-captain next week on this podcast for setting his team up to play anti-football. And I think we're going to be okay with three more points in the bag in the Premier League. And hopefully somebody knocks some points off City and we go back where we belong, top of the table. See, I feel like I expect a bit of better out of Stevie G. Like I say, I do not mind... I understand people are not going to come. I don't, I'm not naive enough to think people are going to come to Anfield and play like open, but you got to have a better plan of doing something with the ball once you win it back. And I feel like Villa will have that and they do have the players for it too. But I think, you know, we don't even know Wolves. I, I thought Wolves had the players for it too. They just did not even attempt it. They were too scared to, lose the ball and build up and they were still trying to at times build the ball from the back but i mean like i say i don't blame anybody to say okay we're gonna play it safe and boot it and that's how you're gonna play that's how you're gonna play i just more against the fact that it gets applauded as good football or viewed as good football i mean just view it as what it is and say hey this is a team that's much lower in class this is the only way they can kind of battle and it is what it is i understand that you know what i mean but it's not at least don't say, oh, they really played well and stuff. I mean, yeah, they defended their ass off, but that's not good football. For the Villa, like I say, yeah, to me, I just want, you know, just the three points, DVG bringing a team is, I know, like, everybody wants them. I'm, I've been, like, said it on the, this podcast before, I would rather have Pep continue after club rather than uh, bringing a DVG, just because we see so many examples of ex-players kind of tearing up the club in terms of fans, because fans cannot evaluate a manager based on their management, we always kind of get blurred with their, you know, what we see them as a player too. And I know personally myself that with Stevie G, it's going to be very difficult, almost impossible to kind of like keep them separate because you just can't yep. take that away from the person. There'll be no, there'll be, no one's going to step in and be Jurgen Klopp, right? And we see it in all kinds of sports all over the world when a great, great coach or manager or leader leaves. No one steps in and does it immediately. But I said earlier in the podcast, you know, about the consistency of leaving a manager in charge and you see it on the field when philosophy and program understands each other. And I feel like they've set up every system to play 4-3-3 and to play Jurgen Klopp's system at every age level at the club that feeds into the first team. And I just think that that consistency along with the, of what Pep has learned under Jurgen Klopp, why, you know, he pushed Bucic out and why, you know, Pep has kind of taken more and more reins. I just feel like it would be such a mistake to be short-minded and short-sighted. Do I believe Steven Gerrard will be the manager of Liverpool football club someday? I do. Yeah. Am I as adamant as Paul? that he shouldn't be and I don't want to see it. I'm not because, you know, I, I make predictions in life. 85% of the time I'm wrong. Like I'll win the fantasy Scouser League. But, <laughs> um, 
you know, these are things that are, you know, those and that fact is not disputed, people. That one I got right. I will not win that league. Um, but you know, in all seriousness, she's that's that's a move. They got to make that move, go to Pep. And I think that what we'll see from Villa, I don't think they'll play anti-football, but I do think he's gonna be a little nervous of going to Anfield with the emotions that are gonna come. And I could see him putting out a little bit more defensive lineup, maybe even playing two holding mids, you know, altering them a little bit, not playing Ings, playing Watkins up top by himself, a little less of their their 4-3-3, or even maybe even getting crazy and playing three at the back to try to offset what Liverpool does with the high wing backs and exploit the space. But I, I don't see it ending well for him. I, I think this is a good 2 nothing win. I think Villa is a team that could be on the rise, but – they need a few players and they need some more time. You know, they haven't played great teams to get these results. I know Pep talked about how great of a t- side he had and how great he did, but I've heard Pep say those things about just about every manager except for Sean Dyche. Because I don't think Sean Dyche's mother says nice things about him. I know I, I don't. And, you know, I don't know about his mother, but. <laughs> I, I bet it, I, he's I bet a guy it, that I cannot wait. He can go with Newcastle, Burnley, and they can probably. It looks like they're gonna end up taking probably Norwich with them too because they're not looking so hot. But I mean, watching that Norwich game uh, against Newcastle, I think I was like, man, if they're gonna beat a time man Newcastle, I don't know what the hell they're gonna do in this league. But yeah, it was kind of there. Like you're saying, like throughout the podcast, there is a big gap in terms of quality. Every team has some good players, but I think when you look at like the mean or the average or like you know the quality of the team has, there are like some like huge gaps there. But yeah, I mean, I could not be. If we lose tomorrow, I'm, I'm not gonna be happy about it. I, I want us to win every game, including preseason games, but. I mean, really, I just want no injuries, good rotation. Uh, just more worried about the weekend game than anything else. So, well, we'll wrap it up, Gally. And uh, thanks to all for listening, sharing, liking, commenting, all that good stuff. Uh, throw the word around. Uh, there is more to come, definitely, especially in the new year as we kind of like stumble towards Christmas over here. Hopefully, it's going to be even bigger and better starting next year with a bunch of new stuff coming on American Scouser. So thanks to all for listening and see you guys next week.